Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Well, again, friends, good morning. It is a joy to be with you as we find ourselves spread across the east side of Atlanta and across our world. And if you are a guest with us this morning, a special welcome to you. Um, We're delighted that you are here with our community and would love again to know that you're here. So if you have a minute to click on that check-in form in the live feed in the comments, um, just let us know that you're here. We would love to have a chance to thank you for being with us and to reach out to you. And the same, of course, is true for our members and our regular attenders. If you're with us this morning, just take a quick minute, fill out that uh, check-in form so that our staff and our congregational care team can follow up with you if you have prayer requests and things that are going on in your lives. Well, this morning, our teaching series that we've been in the midst of now for a little over five weeks, uh, our Aspire series, we come to the subject of resilience. And I suppose perhaps of, of many of the things we have been talking about and will continue to talk about in this teaching series, resilience is probably one that doesn't need a lot of defense as to why it's appropriate, how it is relevant to our world today in these kind of crazy times in which we find ourselves. I sort of poured through the text of scripture to find where I felt called to preach from this morning, and there were sort of a plethora of texts that I could have begun from, um, but hopefully for reasons that will become clear as I work into the message, I ultimately decided to, to read from the Apostle Paul's second letter to the church community in Corinth from the sixth chapter. So friends, without further introduction, um, I invite you to make yourselves uh, comfortable in a space of receptivity, and as I read, I invite you to listen for the Word of God for us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 2, For God says, At an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We're putting no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, were treated as impostors and yet are true. 
as unknown, yet are well-known, as dying, and see, we are alive, as punished, and, not yet, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, I ask that in these moments that as I preach, these words that I have prepared in this time might indeed be your word for your people. God, may you speak through them and when necessary, speak in spite of me. And God, as I preach, I pray that the collective meditations of all of our hearts spread across geography, spread across when people experience this time of worship this week. We pray that all of it, God, would indeed be found good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, a great rock, God, a redeemer, God, a resilient savior. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, this morning, I need to begin by simply laying my cards face up on the table, one of those cards being that my notes are out of order, but more importantly, the reality that I'm not of the belief uh, regarding our subject this morning of resilience, that this is a trait that some humans were just kind of fortunate to be born with more of, while other humans simply did not get lucky enough to have the resilience gene in their gene pool. Because I don't believe, friends, that our relationship to resilience is, is something that's maybe similar to some people's genetic code that, that maybe makes them taller or shorter, no, in my understanding of resilience, it's one of these realities within the human dimension of being that falls within a different category. It falls within those realities within us and a part of us that aren't, aren't determined so much by our biology or by our parents, but are determined at a deeper level by the image of God, the image of God in which humanity was fashioned. You see, I don't, I don't believe that it's the case that some of us are just lucky or fortunate enough to be born with more genetic disposition towards resilience in life, more toughness, more ability to, to take the beatings of life and keep moving forward. I think there's a lot more to it, and I believe that our ability to practice, to, to grow our capacity to resilience is something that we all share by nature of being humans created in the image of God. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, possibly almost every Sunday, the premise of the entirety of the Aspire series uh, continues to come through. 
And it's this, this conviction that we human beings, we're not simply biological inventions of God that are entirely other from God, that are completely um, contained within material reality, but as a people of faith, as Christian people, leaning deeply into our Jewish scriptures to the very beginning, we believe that humanity is this mystical, mysterious commingling of God and of the material, of, of spirit and of, of physical bodies, of blood, of flesh, of bone. But all of us are uniquely made in the image of God. This morning I make the argument that, that our capacity to resilience is, is something that we don't conjure up on our own or in ourselves, but it's something that is gifted to us as a part of our, our divine image. Because we believe that humanity is made in the image of God, our conversations about our truest nature, what makes us really, really who we are. It doesn't necessarily just start with our observation of other human beings. It starts with what we say about the divine, about what we say about God. We look to the one who made us to learn about who it is that we are called and capable of becoming. As a people who believe that we are created in the image of God, our theology matters very directly because what we say about God comes to bear on what we're saying about who it is we are called and capable of being, what is true about us. And we began this Aspire series with the simple, the simple assertion that, that God is eternal, loving community. God is not isolation. God is not uh, this sense of rugged individualism, but God is this collective reality that we name as Trinity within our Christian tradition. Parent, child, spirit, creator, sustainer, redeemer. And within this eternal community, we posited the, the argument that God has dreams and that one of those dreams God latched onto and, and crafted it into a vision of what might actually become a vision that God didn't just sort of leave in the shelf of potential possibility, but that God actually put into reality when God built out a world, a planet, a universe, when God created real humans with real bodies, with real, with real existence that is, that is the reality of being. This morning we come to this reality that is, that is hard to get to if we sort of make the same mistake that a lot of Christianity has done throughout the, the centuries. We've not always done the best job of pointing this out because some, some attempt to kind of gloss over the reality that in the scriptures themselves, we encounter a God who creates a world and that world which God has created, this is right in multiple places and texts throughout the Old Testament, God is impacted by the world God has made. God experiences joy and delight 
at the world God has made. And the scriptures also teach that God experiences suffering and sadness and disappointment through this free world that God has brought into being. Which on the one hand might sound strange depending on what images of God we were raised with, but on the other hand, if we take seriously this idea that we're made in the image of God and that we human beings, we experience a spectrum of emotions. We experience sadness, disappointment, and suffering, and hardship, and trials. This array that Paul speaks of in our text this morning. We experience joy, and elation, and happiness. We might make the argument that, that all of these, this entirety of this spectrum is a part of the image of God in us and that it shouldn't surprise us that the, the ancient Jewish authors of scripture describe God too as experiencing emotions that we want to call human emotions, but maybe we should just call emotions. God made us real as real as God, which means that we have the capacity to experience the real world in reality as it actually is. And perhaps it's precisely because we are created in God's image that we have this incredibly expansive, rich, complex, and at times troubling capacity to experience sometimes within the same breath of time, joy and pain, suffering and delight, and perhaps we can experience these realities because the creator too has this capacity and has gifted us, us with it. The ancient Jewish authors of scripture do not seem to downplay the idea that, that Yahweh, Israel's God, has feelings, has emotions, has responses to the things that the created world, to the, the humans in that created world do and don't do. Which begs the question, a risky question, but a question nonetheless that I think is important to ask. Does creation sort of necessarily, real, authentic, actual creation sort of necessarily involve some level of risk? When God makes a world with legitimately free human beings, is there some potential of risk involved in this decision? Is there some potentiality, some contingency, some openness to what could become? We may not be comfortable or, or, or may not have heard God and creation spoken of this way in our past, but as soon as we shift to the analogy of human parents, it clicks almost immediately because no one disagrees with the premise that every parent engaging in the decision to to create a child or to adopt a human, they're engaging in a level of, of risk and, and a lack of predictability that is pretty in, intense. No parent can simply predict how this human that comes into their life, whether by birth or through adoption, there's no way they can predict how they're going to interact with and exercise their free, world, their free will as they come into being in the world. I think one could make the same case that God, when creating human beings, humanity, truly free, engaged in a similar kind of endeavor. 
I have yet to come across a parent who hasn't and doesn't experience sort of the height and the breadth of human emotions from the, from the heights of great joy and of happiness and elation to, to pride and to excitement when their child makes choices and lives into decisions that bring about the good, the true, the beautiful, that bless human beings, humankind. And at the same time, parents who also experience the depth of sadness and frustration, maybe anger and disappointment when one of their children makes a decision that is harmful to the child, perhaps, or harmful to the other humans and their life, harmful to the trajectory of their lives or their future. Part of, of entering into this sort of covenantal relationship with parenting a free human being is the reality that we're going to experience great joys and great disappointments. It's a part of the whole thing. So I don't know that God was particularly surprised that, that human free will disappointed God from time to time. I don't know that, that God taking a risk didn't mean that God didn't have a sense that it was very likely that human beings were, just as a parent has a child, going to make mistakes and going to take detours and going to go directions and routes that maybe the parent wouldn't prefer. Most parents aren't surprised, well, I, I don't think most parents are surprised when their kids make um, imperfect decisions. <laughs> So why would God be surprised when human beings act imperfectly? And what might you ask does all of this have to do with this morning's subject of resilience? I think it actually ties in pretty importantly to the trajectory of the Aspire series because we have a creator God who in community has a dream catches that dream, crafts it into a vision, a vision that God then, by God's power, brings into being in the real world with real human beings on a real planet, with great hopes for what could come, what could be through humanity, the good, the true, the beautiful, a human, humanity who would freely choose to embody the ways and the will of God in their lives and their world, and instead we get the book of Genesis. If you've never read the book of Genesis, if you do choose to read it, know what you're getting yourself into. Because by chapter three, human beings have already radically departed from what God had asked of them, what God had called of them. They had already entered into sort of rebellion and they were already deceiving one another and attempting to deceive God. And honestly, Genesis chapter three becomes kind of kind of lightweight. As soon as you get to the first offspring of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, stuff gets so dark so fast. The first older brother portrayed in all of scripture, he premeditates to take his little brother Abel out into the field and he murders him because he's jealous of his little brother. This is like right at the beginning of the story. Bless you. Bless all of you this morning. 
But no matter what endeavor we embark on, whether we're talking about starting a family, we're talking about a marriage partnership or a business, or starting a ministry, or chasing a dream that you may have, it doesn't matter. Whatever you embark on in this life and in this world, what my mom always used to say is probably going to ring true, life is hard. And I hated it when she'd say it, because she'd say it at the most annoying and opportune moments. Well, Tim, life's hard. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) But she's right. And to not expect that, to not know that that is a part of the the reality of the real world, right? It's setting our kids up, it's setting one another, it's setting ourselves up for a lot of disappointment. And in Genesis, we encounter a world that gets really hard, really fast. Humans abuse their freedom quickly and begin to hurt one another very quickly. And I would argue that from God's perspective, things quickly become challenging and disappointing. And sometimes, and I've heard a lot of this language recently with the pandemic and just everything that is going on, I feel like that's the the sentence of 2020 with everything that's going on. Um, People want less stress or they want less challenge or they want less difficulty, all of which are reasonable to some extent. But at the same time as one resilience researcher who I read this week, she kind of comically makes the the claim, the only people who have a truly easy, stress-free, no-pressure existence are dead. Because part of being alive is the challenge of being alive. And with the challenge of being alive is the joy of being alive and the goodness and also the sadness and the suffering and all the struggles that come along with it. This morning I would argue that as we look at this projection, as we follow this divine project of creation We come to resilience as we come to a project that's getting really hard. A reality that God has poured God's heart into that in the book of Genesis gets really tough really fast. And one could even make the argument disappointing. God, the God of hope, the God of believing the absolute best, even even in giving humans freedom Does God hope and and believe that we are going to be the best possible versions of ourselves? But but we're not always. And the scriptures are honest about that. And they're honest about a God who responds to that with suffering, with sadness. In Genesis, we encounter God working with human beings, and a God who is resolute. And we can have a side conversation if we want to about the story of Noah and the ark, but we're not going to go down that, that sort of tangential trail this morning. But if you want to talk about it, I'm happy to. But if you look at the bigger ark, pun not intended, of the book of Genesis, it becomes clear really quickly that God is not the God of giving up on humanity. 
God is not the God who throws in the towel or cuts and runs or says, you know, this project has collectively gotten really dark and has not gone the direction that I had wanted it to, so I'm going to pull back and pull out and leave this human project. No. We see God just like a good parent who has a challenging child love, love them and stick with them and seek with, with tenacity and intensity to love that child and to do everything possible to help them without, without stifling their creativity and their freedom and who they are, but to, to offer guidance and direction. And God, it seems as though, instead of sort of focusing in on just one or two human beings, it's almost as that in the book of Genesis and in the, the, the grand scape of the Old Testament, God sort of pulls out and sees humanity as this larger collective consciousness that God realizes humanity is infantile in the beginning. And, and as, a, as a group, as a people, as a, as a species, if you will, we have growth that we need to do collectively generation over generation. So it's as though God sort of digs in and sees the long haul with this God-human relationship and chooses to, to, to make a covenant with a people, with Abraham, with his descendants, and to dig in with this people so that ultimately they would become, over time, a model to the entire world of what God's hopes and dreams are for all of humanity and as God struggles with the people of Abraham, generation over generation in the New Testament, it's almost as though God then zooms back in to one human being and decides to completely step into the story in a new way. And God moves in Christ almost from the parental figure to entering the story as a sibling to humanity. It's almost like Christ becomes the big brother that the first big brother wasn't. It's almost that Jesus enters the story and stands alongside of us. Instead of sort of the parental oversight, Jesus is now arm in arm with us, with humanity. God zooms out and works with, with the collective of the people of Israel that in Christ, God zooms back in and enters the story in this fixed, profound moment and person through Christ's work. And all of it, all of it just has this remarkable reality of, of, of resilient creativity of God at work, dy dynamically responding to, working with the choices of groups of human and individual humans generation by generation. See, friends, I would argue that the resilience of God with the human project, it's a thing of beauty. And we don't experience or learn of a God who, who can't handle humanity, who can't handle human freedom, but instead a God who chooses to dig in and to stand alongside and to work with us generation over generation tirelessly. The human art project, almost like the story of Pinocchio, 
We're given true freedom, we become real, and then God chooses to stay no matter how hard it gets with us, no matter how far we go in the wrong direction. God is, is a parent, and in Christ, God is a sibling who will not leave. You see, friends, I find this to be beautiful and it to be brilliant and the most compelling of all dramas because after generations of parenting, God chooses to come as sibling and to walk alongside of us in divine love and in a human body. And here's the thing, it doesn't get any riskier than the eternal God of the universe entering into one of these frail human bodies as God does in Christ. God who chooses to guide, to beckon, to parent, and in love to enter the story in a new way as our sibling. So friends, in this season, that is a hard season. It may not be the hardest season, but it is a hard season for all of us in some way. As a people of faith, it's really good for us to remind one another that we are made in the image of a resilient God, a God who has not and doesn't give up on us which means that you don't have to give up on yourself and you don't have to give up on the other humans in your lives. It's in you, it's in your divine DNA that is embedded so deeply inside of each of you. You are resilient whether you feel it or know it or not. You are, it's in you. Every human has the capacity to love and has the capacity to resilience can be like a muscle we have to exercise and to stretch and to grow, but you're created with it. All of us are. We all have the capacity because we are created in the image of a resilient God. You know, I, I, I thought about preaching an uber, like an uber practical message this week on how to, how to cultivate resilience in your life, but the reality is that there are so many examples of, of human beings who have done incredible, remarkable things, who they have overcome so many and so much of life's challenges, whether you're talking about somebody like Nelson Mandela sitting in prison for 27 years to somebody like Viktor Frankl, who, who when finally given his chance to leave the, the Nazi death camp, he chooses to stay because he gets so much joy and meaning from working with his fellow prisoners and helping them find meaning in the face of great loss. To people like Anne Frank, there's so many examples of resilient human beings unnamed people like, like those parents who've worked through and walked through the unimaginable loss of a human child, yet have figured out, have worked through that and, and been able to come out on the other side and continue to live a meaningful and a rich life even in the midst of grief. Humans, we are remarkable beings made in the remarkable image of our God. Instead of preaching this morning sort of three ways to become more resilient, you can, there's so much out there right now that you can look to to find that sort of practical guidance. But what I, what I really felt drawn to do this morning was to, to, to bring this idea of resilience 
into our theology, into our core identity as people created in God's image. The idea that even when we don't feel it, we have the power to be resilient because God is resilient toward us. And that is the overwhelming thrust of scripture in Christ. (laughs) The Easter story, it proves God's resilience even in the face of death. Resurrection is the ultimate act of God's resilience. Even death cannot forever overcome. One of the most common reoccurring themes that resilience researchers find throughout all the different humans and groups that they study is that one of the things resilient people share in common is they can name pretty rapidly what, what is the thing behind the thing behind the thing that they truly value. They know what they value in life. They've done that work of sorting through all, all that is and saying, you know, at the end of the day, this is what's important to me. And because of that, there are things that they don't waste their resilience on. There are things that they're okay to let go of, to not keep pushing on. But the text this morning in which we encounter the Apostle Paul, his whole point is that he has, he's doing what he's doing for the sake of the gospel, for the kingdom of God, for the resurrection of the world. And because of that, he's willing to take a beating, he's willing to be lied about, he's willing to be persecuted, he's willing to go hungry, famine, all the things that he lists. And he says, I've done all of these things and I've got the capacity to keep going because it has meaning connects with Paul's core values. And we as a people of faith, we share that core value of one another being a people created in the image of God, a God who is resilient on our behalf. A core value that we find in the very idea of a love that empowers and emboldens and allows that resilience to be real. It's all fueled by a love, a love of one another that will not ever let one another go. A love of parent to child, of human to human, of God to humanity, of Christ to us. So friends, in this season that I know is difficult, that I know is hard, may we as a community remind one another who we really are. You are strong. You may not feel strong, but you are strong. And sometimes we need to remind one another of how strong we are and be strong for one another and bring that reality out in one another as we seek to exemplify the resurrection life right now. Amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar, and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.